2014, we lost not just our guy, Philip Smear Hoffman, but another titan in Robin Williams. Yeah, the lead actor of the film that we're covering in this podcast. Film we're covering today, Patch Adams, yeah. And we asked this to our guests, so about Philip Smear Hoffman, but I'll ask you about Robin Williams, Kyle. What are some of your favorite or most memorable Robin Williams roles? I mean, I'm going to first and foremost say Hook. I have such a soft... That's a movie that gets, like, as, as far as Spielberg movies, that gets a like a tough rap, but I, I, he just, as an, as an older Peter Pan, he's amazing. Then clearly you have, I mean, the, you know, Mrs. Doubtfire. We grew up, we grew up in the nineties, which is just prime Robin Williams, Aladdin, you know, his voiceover work is phenomenal. How about you? Um, that, that's a good question. Like there's some obvious ones. Look, look, obviously Google hunting. Yeah. Google amazing. Hunting. And that yeah. like moves me in that. And he's funny too, like. But Jumanji, I have to say. Oh yeah, which they're remaking. Alan Parrish. Spin, yeah. yeah, it's a it, it's a spinoff, and I hope spin-off it's sequel. like. I yeah, it's in the same universe. Yeah. Whatever. I I hate that crap. You know that, but. I digress. Jumanji. Um, I like him in the Birdcage. Oh come on, yeah, Birdcage. <laughs> Hell yeah, that's so, so so good. Nathan Lane is like my favorite in that movie, though. I'm not going to take your favorite movie by Centennial Man. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Oliver Platt, one of our guys, is in that. Oh, movie. yeah, I love Oliver Platt. I mean, I love Robin Williams, but that movie is just not that great. I mean, he's great as a genie in Aladdin. Yeah. I mean, there's, just, there's so much good stuff. Um, Fisher King is a good movie. Great movie. You know, we could do a Robin Williams podcast. Iggy Pop! Amen! Let it rock! I'm a fucking idiot. Red meat, we crave sustenance. I'm an artist. Hello, my name is Jimmy Cody. Why don't you have some fun? Fun, fun. Tommy. That's a paper. Whoever she is, I'm gonna find her and I'm gonna hurt her. I've spent the past three years learning Finnish. <laughs> I'm always home, I'm on cool. This is a process of dehumanization. Shut, 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 shut up! Hey, Hoff fans. Welcome to this week's edition of the PSI Love Hoffman podcast, our love letter to the remarkable career of the late, great Philip Zimmer Hoffman. I'm Brian Rodriguez. And I'm Kyle Reinfried. We're always home, we're always uncool, and we're always ready to talk great movies. Today we'll be chatting about a uh, film. Um, I would say this is a dramedy, right, Kyle? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fair. Patch Adams. Yep, Patch Adams, and we have a very special guest with us on the podcast, Kara. Welcome. Hello. Hi, Kara. How's it going? Uh, it's going pretty well. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for uh, coming on the PS I Love Hoffman. So, Kara Gale O'Regan, yes, you have a podcast, which I'm really starting to love, on our network, Cage Club Network, Wistful Thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean... I actually have two podcasts, only one of which is on Cage Club, though. Ooh. Yes, no, and the other one, I assume you'll be using your knowledge from that one in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, to a certain extent. The other one is called In Sickness and in Health, and uh, on that show, I talk to people about their relationships with their bodies and issues uh, that intersect with chronic illness, disability, health care, and mortality. So, like, the fun stuff. Um, <laughs> so, Yeah. I was actually oh listening to some episodes earlier today on the subway, and I was getting very depressed. 
but I think that, yeah. that that's it was good but it was just sad I mean it's par for the course especially in 2017 I'm actually taking a break from that show at the moment and it's also why I started Wistful Thinking okay. uh, because making a show about healthcare in 2017 is a real fucking bummer yeah yeah as, as I um, kind of got a little taste of today I mean I know it, but just your passion on that show, I could tell you were upset. I mean, and rightfully so. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a lot going on, and none of it is good. So it's but been rather stressful. On a lighter note, the first time I heard you was uh, as the Bill and Ted expert on Keanu Club. Yes. Yes, you've been on uh, Keanu. You haven't been on Cage Club, correct? But Keanu Club, uh, you've been on before? Yes, that is correct. I did um, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and the Bill and Ted animated series, and we are holding out for a Bill and Ted 3, which is allegedly in the works. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I mean, that sounds like it's coming closer and closer to being made, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, Alex Winter, who plays Bill, and of course, Keanu Reeves, who plays Ted, um they get asked about it in interviews all the time and Mm -hmm. at least over the last few years they've been talking about how they're you know they're finishing a script they're it's definitely like almost in pre-production so that's really exciting for the bill and ted fanatics among us correct me if i'm wrong but did you say on the podcast that like bogus journey you liked it better than excellent adventure Oh yeah, really? It's wow, possibly my favorite movie wow. of all time. Whoa, it's really to to borrow a phrase, it's really most excellent. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like one of those weird people that's kind of obsessed with death, uh, and death actually is one of the main characters in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, because um, Bill and Ted actually die at the beginning of the movie, yeah. and they have to kind of go on this this journey with a Grim Reaper type figure, and it's really so good. It's just so good. I haven't seen Bogus Journey in, like, years. Yeah, definitely have seen... It's worth revisiting. Excellent Adventure many more times than Bogus Journey. Wait, and correct me if I'm wrong again, did... Joey, Joey Lewandowski, the Godfather. Did he say that that was the first time he had seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? I, think I could so. be pulling that out of my ass, but um, it, no, I, that sounds right. That, I don't remember. It was a long time ago when we recorded yeah, that. Yeah, an Excellent Adventure. Again. Don't get me wrong, is also most excellent. I just really like Bogus Journey more. That's fair to say. Sometimes you've got those like Wayne's World two versus Wayne's World one. Exactly. You know? Like I mean, yeah. Which is ironic because they even talk about in the first one Star Trek versus Star Trek: The Next Generation. You know, it's almost very meta. Yeah. In a way. <laughs> Regardless, we're not here for Keanu Club or unfortunately, no, we are Ted's here for adventure. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Kara, when when would you say was like the first film you recognized? Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and if it's the same or different your favorite role of his yeah I think the first time that I realized that like he was like a, a person that I was like paying attention to is definitely uh, his role as Lester Bangs in Almost Famous oh, okay. um, that was a very important film for me as yes. a as a teen as a youth um, and so I think that was the first time where I was like, who is this guy? And he was Lester Banks to me for a long time until I, I guess, started seeing other things and realized that like, oh, he's not just as like, I mean, he is a character actor, but he's, 
also can kind of take over a whole movie on his own. This, however, Patch Adams was not one of those movies. No, <laughs> no. He, he, he falls back into his waspy... I think this is even, like, the most distinct voice he's had of this, like, generic waspy character that he's played uh, multiple times at this point. And there's even a couple times I had to be like, wait, what did he just say? Just because he gets very pontific and just very, you know, I don't know what to call it, just that northeastern accent. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So is Almost Famous your favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman role? I don't know. I'd actually have to like sit down and take a look at his um, filmography to confirm that, but that's probably true. It's a great role. I mean, it, it, it is awesome. Yeah. We loved it, and we yeah. definitely, I mean, we used the line in our opening, and then we also adopted it as our uh, sign-off, so, you know, to stay uncool, because that's just, like, one of the <laughs> greatest speeches of all time to just, I mean, plenty of people that just feel uncomfortable, which is clearly mo- most people in the high school era, and that's also, I mean, we're all around the same age, and that's when that movie came out, so. Mm-hmm. And it's also, Kyle, the genesis of our theme song, which is an yes, pop that's, song. Yeah, no, that, that, exactly, that's, it's, it plays a double uh, role in our that he starts out with Iggy Pop, Amen, and then we kick in with uh, <laughs> Search and Destroy. So you have a medical podcast, but it, is that you know we asked you and you and you went with you know Pat, we gave you a list of uh, movies that we still had available for guests, and you chose Patch Adams. Was there besides just it being medical related, or did you have another reason as far as liking the movie? I just like. I remember having a very like a a big fondness for this movie the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. I think um, so. It just kind of like stood out to me as something that um, similar to the the premise of Wistful Thinking, where we have our guests kind of pick a movie or a TV show or something from their childhood that they remember loving, and then we revisit it. I kind of wanted to do that with Patch Adams, um, just because I have so much more experience as a patient and as a person who works tangentially with medically related stuff. Sure. Um, I just I thought it would be interesting to revisit it, and it was. And it, it was. was and it was. It was. It was a delightful revisiting, or. I don't know if it's delightful. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have, I don't want to say like a bone to pick with this movie, but definitely there's some stuff out there that, uh, you know, or it has its flaws, it has its weaknesses, but mm-hmm. overall, I mean, it's you know, it's it's the Robin Williams show, and he in this movie just always, he he just he's just so charming and just brings such, you know brought such a light to this world, and it's uh and it's sad yeah. because and I'm a huge huge Robin Williams fan mm-hmm. so that was like another thing that stood out to me because I'll watch anything that he is in yeah definitely and I mean and, it just and of course oh. Philip Seymour Hoffman and Robin Williams died the same year so yeah they died within six months of six each other six months of each other so that was just yeah that I remember being so depressed when Philip Seymour Hoffman passed away and then it was yeah six months later Robin Williams and it was just that was a it was a crappy year 2014 Two greats, two greats in different ways, vastly different careers. Obviously, Robin yes, Williams for way longer, but definitely super, super sad. Six months there. So, Kyle, um, if people don't know what Patch Adams is about, why don't you educate them with one of your 
all-time great synopsisize. Sure. So, uh, Patch Adams, which came out in 1998, is about Hunter Adams, who eventually uh, garners the nickname of Patch and adopts it as his name, is a lost man, but through admitting himself into a psychiatric hospital, he finds his passion, helping others. Uh, he wants to become a doctor, but not just your average doctor with the average practice, but one that uses humor and kindness to reach his patients. People probably know this, but there is a real Patch Adams. This is yes, supposed based to be based story. off his life. Yes, yes. But, uh, but the real Patch Adams is not a big fan of this no. movie. No, he, he said he, yeah, he said he, he, he was portrayed. Movie. He makes an appearance no. in the movie. He has a cameo. He does. Well. I, I know you don't like it, Kyle, but I always mention the Rotten Tomatoes, and it's really actually important here, or it's fun to talk about, because critic-wise, 22%. So pretty, pretty crappy, right? Mm. Audience score, 73%. Wow, that, what a spread. Goes to show you, that goes to show you the charming nature of Robin Williams. Because it's really, I mean, like, there's, you know, there's plenty of actors that do a, a decent job in this movie, but it, it's the Robin Williams, again, you know, show, so... It's very much based on him. But this movie screams, screams like Oscar bait to me. And it was nominated for, I think, or did it even, I think it was nominated, I don't think it won, but like original music or something like that. Oh, really? Yeah. But, and he, 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 won, he won a Golden Globe. No, I'm sorry, nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Actor. But I don't know, to me this movie just like really screams, you know, like Oscar me, Oscar me. You know, like he's not, he's pretty fresh off of winning Best Supporting Actor. This is one thing I wanted to mention, like, because we were talking about the real Patch Adams. Kind of disappointed because, at least from the pictures I saw of the real Patch Adams, he has a handlebar mustache, and yeah, Robin Williams does. did not have a handlebar mustache in this film. And <laughs> how old? I really didn't do much research into the real Patch Adams. How, like, how old was he at that? You know, at the time when this movie takes place in like the late '60s, early '70s. So, the real Patch Adams actually. Um went to medical school like not very long after he went to college which in the movie it seems like he's maybe in his 30s yeah to late 30s oh, wow. um and so that was that was different and they they actually philip seymour hoffman in the film acknowledges like aren't you a little old to be in medical school <laughs> yeah i mean um, Robin so it, in his early to mid 40s at this point right like... yeah i think so so um the timeline in the film is does not track with the timeline in real life, uh, which is only just just one way in which it deviates from the reality. Yeah. You seem you seem to know most about this, Kara. So chime in any time <laughs> there's like a deviation because I'm fascinated. I actually I didn't have I like uh, one of my favorite things about doing these movie podcasts is like diving into the trivia which I didn't have a whole lot of time to do so I actually listened to another podcast it was only about 15 minutes long because I didn't have much to talk about about this where they were talking about the differences between like the real story of Patch Adams and what wound up being in the film so that's that's why I know this <laughs> yeah, there, there really wasn't too much on IMDB Wikipedia to tell me about like the production the one big thing that I read was that Spoiler alert, uh, one character, Karen, who uh, is killed in the movie, that is that was a man in real, a close friend of his, but it was a man in real life, not his love interest, which they changed for the movie because I guess they wanted 
to have a love interest. Well, um, the the Karen character is based off of Patch Adams' real wife. She just oh. didn't get murdered. So that's so weird. Like, I mean, <laughs> no, you want to hear? You say that's weird. I wasn't sure if I was going to bring this up, but I found this to be very weird. So Monica Potter, who plays Karen, she auditioned for the role in Robin Williams' house in front of Robin Williams' wife, and they did a passionate kissing scene, and she had the flu at the time. What? <laughs> yeah. So that's that. Was that's the that flu right part there. of it? Was the flu part like, of it? Like, no, did she, she just get like, the flu to just, I don't know, test patch out no, I, I, I guess Robin Williams was just like, you know, no, we need to uh, have you audition today. Obviously, he, he must have had some stipulations if she came to his house in, like, San Francisco, I'm assuming, because he's a big San Francisco I don't want to besmirch be, be Robin Williams' name, because I love Robin Williams, but that, to me, more tells me, like, how much power he had over this production. Yeah, mm-hmm. again, this was the Robin Williams show, so I think this was not only, you know, I mean... I didn't look to see if he had a producing credit, but it just, yeah, seemed like he was very much a big, big part in this movie. Of course. I mean, it, it, interesting, like, all all that stuff, because I don't, I don't know how I feel about doing a true story, and then you're going to, like, have that much control over the character. It's just, especially, like, of a living guy who clearly was somewhat of a part of it, because he did a cameo in the film. It's just uh, weird. What I read something else, too, that... Uh, Pat. One of the reasons Patch Adams was like pissed off is that the movie made like a lot of money, but they didn't donate anything to his hospital. That is kind of like yeah. I don't know. That's kind of so. Scary. Robin Williams made something like twenty-one million dollars and didn't give any money really? to the real Patch Adams Hospital. However, he did. He was a huge supporter of St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Yeah, I I read during the production, uh, he and a bunch of other actors would go. And worked with um, Make a Wish like during it. Yeah, and those kids actually, or at least some of them, actually were in the movie. So yeah. the children that are in the film as sick kids are actually sick kids in real life, oh. which um, is pretty remarkable. Uh, very often in films, people living with chronic illnesses or disabilities are portrayed by people who have no lived experience with that so i think it's actually kind of cool that they cast real sick kids yeah definitely and i mean uh, you know that's surprising that i mean he made you know that decent amount of money on it and didn't donate it but i mean it still doesn't to me doesn't change my like outlook on him but i i I get i guess i should just say it doesn't change my outlook on him but i definitely get a little bit more of why the like the real patch adams might might have been upset because even at at the end of the film there's like you know since it's based off a true story they catch you up with what's going on in like the world of patch adams today and at that point they were expanding or building a new building for the what is it the gesundheit right gesundheit yeah gesundheit institute Um, it's my understanding that that's still not a thing. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, that they had several problems with funding and that sort of thing. And, um, I did read somewhere that they began construction in 2011, but I don't think it's been completed. That, that kind of, that, that kind of sucks. I mean. Yeah. It's not surprising though. I mean, it's a free hospital yeah i mean that just goes that that just goes i mean you're just picking a battle with so many different like areas of medicine right there yeah that i mean you know whatever your beliefs on business i would say 
Yeah, yeah not a great business plan. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Like, there's one thing, I mean, at the end of the movie, it's very optimistic, and it said, I mean, how many thousands of doctors had already signed up that they wanted to be a part of it? And it's like, oh, wow, great, this is going to be fantastic. And probably in 1998, the people that saw this movie were like, oh, my God, it's going to be great from here on out in the medical field, you know. This is going to be different. Yeah. But. I mean, something that's really interesting that stood out to me in the film is, like, just how many of the problems that we deal with today in our medical system are addressed in the film that's supposed to be taking place in like 1969 to 1972 mm-hmm. or so. Yeah, I found that interesting too because I mean, I think we just tend to always think that the problems of now are so different than the problems of before. Yeah. But nope. it was weird because it's like <laughs> very translatable to what's going on today. Yeah, I mean, everything from kind of the doctor-patient relationship and that is starting to, well, it is significantly different than it was in the late 60s, at least we have that going for us. But a lot of times patients are not involved in so many of the decisions and conversations that we have about healthcare. Um, And doctor, like medical training is almost the same today as it was back then you know we we train doctors not to be humans but to be something better doctors <laughs> yeah like um, that, yeah that very militaristic you know vibe that robin williams is making fun of but of yeah, course at and the same paternalistic time paternalistic too uh, you know of course at the same time then you have people that just while they're in their hospital beds or googling and think that you know they can find an answer on the internet that will which you know, gets a lot, gets a bad rap, but, um, I, I have many colleagues that have diagnosed themselves, um, far more efficiently than any of the, uh, medical professionals that they've seen. I've done it too, multiple times, you know, in the right hands, Google can be a really powerful tool. Oh, in sure. Yeah. Care. No, it's definitely, I mean, that only expands upon the belief that of his, that, have other people in there and share i mean the only the Mm -hmm. the only way just in general that society will get better is through communication if you don't communicate and so the internet the internet is clearly the best way of connecting the world and the public to one another but there's just some people that get too ahead of themselves or just get too you know but at the same time i can imagine how in the right like you just said in the right hands it can be a very very powerful tool Mm mm-hmm so, uh, and also, like, the cost of, of medicine, too. Like, there's this scene after um, Patch, like, oversees a, a woman, like, weeping during the last moments of her daughter's life, oh, being yeah, forced to fill D, out forms, yeah. and they're sitting in a diner afterwards, and they're discussing this, and the people around them join in the conversation and start saying, like, I had to pay this much money, like, my insulin costs $100 a month, this costs me whatever, like, you know, and one woman even says, the government should pay for healthcare, like, these are literally the exact same conversations that we are having today. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and it's amazing, and I think these these are these moments where the film kind of, like, lands, where it's like, oh, wow, you're bringing up real dialogue here. So I'm curious for Mm -hmm. uh, both you guys... Where did it miss? Like, where did this movie miss? Hmm. Well, something that stood out to me, like, at the very beginning of the film um, was because it, it starts out and Robin Williams is actually checking himself into a psychiatric ward. Um, and there's a lot of, uh, I guess, um, 
negative stereotypes that, that like and and the way that mental illness is kind of dealt with throughout the movie it's like not great <laughs> not great you know people are working very hard to kind of change these sorts of uh, conceptions of people living with mental illness so like that was a place where it was bothersome i would say yeah that's fair they definitely played it up comedically like these are crazies mm-hmm. haha like it was a little odd i'll say and and it, i feel like i'm taking shots at robin williams but i'm trying not to because i love him but it was a little odd to jump from like the super seriousness to his like wackiness for lack of a better word in certain times and, and it, it's funny because it, it wasn't always like that because i really thought some of his performance was moving but specifically these like psychiatric scenes at the beginning were just like so wacky if that's I, I can't think of the word but it just it was something that made me not take it seriously and then uh, with a very serious subject does that make sense Kyle or yeah I mean it it's fair to say that it this the whole opening of the film before he goes you know for his medical degree so I mean the first first doctorate you know starting that three-year program that it wasn't it wasn't necessary like it could have been handled you know at one point what's her name again Corinne right I always want to say Karen but it's Corinne oh it was Corinne yeah that Corinne says to, to him like oh I heard this like one rumor is like oh that you know like I was in a psychiatric ward and yeah I tried to kill myself it's like I, I don't know there was something to be said that like that was kind of I mean, with Robin Williams' charm, you accept that, and we saw that earlier, so as an audience, we do that, but there's just something that could have been explored much more between her or even, like, um, his friend Truman or just, like, their study group. Like, something, or, like, that could have been brought up by, like, he could have, I don't know, lie, you know, if we're going to take artistic, you know, liberties with this movie and not do it verbatim to Patch Adams' real life, I don't know, that could have been a much more powerful moment of realizing that versus having this silliness of the opening and this whole thing with uh, the character of Rudy and his fear of squirrels. Like, I don't care if that was, like, a real-life thing. It just, it like you said, it goes from, to, like, this wackiness from this, like, serious moment. Like, it, it's good. it's good to see, like, the best part of that, I guess, the opening of this film, is seeing that, like, Patch talking to, I guess he gets his nickname there too, and then we meet that character that gives the plot of land, but then him really saying to that doctor, like, no, you're an asshole, like, you're not even listening to me, and that, I guess you find out from there, but... That part's fine, it's just when he's in, like, the room with them, I felt like I was watching, like, whose line is it anyway, like an improv thing. (laughs) Yeah, sure, like, it felt like like What's your prompt? There's squirrels everywhere, you know? they weren't very with Robin Williams since he has a very like up and down personality I I guess that's sometimes like a tough thing and maybe and maybe that comes down to the writing comes down to the to the director but I mean this director is something uh, didn't talk about him so his name is Tom I want to say pronounce it Shadiac Um, and yeah I mean he's he's he directed a lot of comedies he directed Ace Ventura the Nutty Professor. Yeah, that was his like real breakout with Jim Carrey. Uh, yeah, Asian Tour, The Nutty Professor, Liar Liar, Bruce Almighty, Evan Almighty. The only other like, dra- I mean, this is in you know Patch Adams is like a dramedy. He had like his drama with this one movie, Dragonfly, with Kevin Costner, which gets a little like silly and like <laughs> over the top with uh, 
with its like whole message and everything like that, which I think is just funny that in this movie, butterfly becomes a very and I roll my eyes every time, like that when that butterfly <laughs> sequence happened. Of, oh my god, uh, Kurt Corinne <laughs> and her butterfly speech. It just it was just very reminiscent of. Uh, uh, Jenny's speech in Forrest Gump was just like, I just want to be a bird and fly, fly away. You know, it was just... Well, that scene is really weird because she's telling him that she experienced childhood sexual abuse and, like, they don't actually say it. She just, like, pauses for a really long time after saying, my whole life men have found me very beautiful. Yeah. So I just, I think that the way that they handled that scene was bizarre and then the next scene is the scene where she gets murdered so like yeah her character arc is so underdeveloped i think oh my god like i I think that's probably where like a, a, a lot of times this movie is failing it's kind of trying to do too much it's trying to like strike this balance of like it's super serious but super funny but like yeah. you know these like complicated characters that don't actually get any actual character development and um that i I found like it was just kind of um just wasn't able to focus and if they had focused on like a, a few plot points and kind of didn't try to go because it paints with such a broad brush yeah that's a good that point, it yeah. doesn't it's not effective yeah, the whole the yeah, whole that it does. the whole Larry, Larry is the character that kills her. That oh whole mm-hmm. that whole sequence of at his house and like the I don't know what classical piece of music that is that he's playing on the piano, but so just like cliche. so over like, yeah, yeah, so cliche and so overused. It's just cringeworthy and not like not in a good way. Like yeah, at all. It's no, just, and like the look on his face before he like I guess kills her. It's just like so stupid. Like I, I don't know how else to say it. It's just, it like yeah. I forget his line, but the way he shuts that like armoire is just like <laughs> when he puts the jet ja- and then just. The- oh, he says something like, "Oh, we wouldn't want to be late." Yeah, and just ugh, ugh. <laughs> it's ugh. terrible. Not yet. It's just really that just handled so poorly. Like, and then yeah, I don't know. Then the president telling Patch about it, and you feel and you feel bad, and then he I don't know. And then that just again that whole cliff sequence, and then he turns around, the butterflies on his bag. It's just like, okay, come on, people, like really? <laughs> I don't know. Look, Kyle, you mentioned the director, and I, I want to mention the cinematographer for this film because I really like him. Uh, I don't if I'm screwing up his name, I apologize, but I've, I've noticed him before. Um, Fiedon Papa Michael, and he does like a lot of the Alexander Payne films. Oh, love me some uh, Alexander Payne. That's cool. Uh, you know, like, like so I, I didn't mind the cinematography here. I thought it was actually pretty good. Um, not really what I was focused on, but I do like this guy. Yeah, uh, no, he's. A, I'm looking at it right now. Pursuit, of, uh, Also other movies, Pursuit of Happiness, Walk the Line, 310 to Yuma. Um, you know, some, some decent, besides Alexander Payne, some, some decent movies. The Mo- Monuments of Men. When I said like the shot of him closing the armor, I didn't mean like the actual shot. Just, like, no, 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 no. Yeah, no. I know the, you didn't. The, mean u- shot the use, wise. the it's use of the use of it, yeah. that as far as storytelling, it was just like, ugh. Okay, I get it. No, so, n- not a huge cast in this one. No. Um. I mean, you've got like I said, clearly Robin Williams and clearly our main man, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. His character's name is Mitch, 
And then you've got, again, Monica Potter as Corinne, Bob Gutton as Dean Walcott, or Wilcott, I can't remember exactly. Uh, Peter Coyote is the patient with pancreatic cancer named Bill Davis. He's, he's, I love Peter Coyote. He's just like, he's, yes. he's a great actor. The voice of American experience. Yeah, I mean, I just always think of him as E.T. That's like the first and foremost. You know, um, you know I'm a Ken Burns guy. Yes. And then you also have Joseph Summer, and I just want to say he's Dr. Eaton, and I just want to say him again because he's was a crossover for us. He was in uh, Nobody's Fool, and he's uh, Mr. Ducksworth from, uh, again, Mighty Ducks. So. Yes, not a Philip Summer Hoffman film, but one we... we uh sight often on this podcast for some reason yes <laughs> um and monica potter connection with cage club, cage of club course. yeah con air con air yeah i always think of her from that movie Love her so movie. we were talking about a little bit before um how do you think philip Seymour hoffman i guess did in this film uh when do we first see him right oh when he's entering the dorm right yeah we first yeah, yeah we first meet him in the dorm and as you said, he just has that it's like a brief exchange with him uh, of just like and how old are you and what, like, what are you doing here and uh, we can play that's just like a brief little quip, we can play that for you May I help you? Yeah, you know I could really use a foot massage right about now Rephrasing, <laughs> what are you doing here? I'm your new roommate, I'm, I'm moving in I don't mean to be rude but aren't you a little old to be starting medical school? You know, Babe Ruth was 39 when he joined the Yankees. Well, he wasn't. You're right. But I could really use an example like that. And if you ever find one, please let me know. Hi. Right. Patch Adams, Mitch Roman, Georgetown University. I was awarded the William F. Thompson Scientific Achievement Award. Emerson Elementary, I once drew a picture of a rabbit that got me two gold stars. Hmm. Yes, yeah, so his name is Mitch. Is it? It's just Mitch on IMDb. to see Mitch Roman? Is that? He's just got that very uptight and again that waspy characterness to him, and you know you can just tell. I mean, he just has that great speech later on of just like him being a prick, so that is kind of the perfect, <laughs> <laughs> perfect, you know, uh, word to describe him in this movie. He's snooty, you know. He's a uh, yeah. I think he comes from a long line of doctors in his family, and I thought I thought he was gonna turn out like more evil in this film, but he actually just like becomes a doctor and no he becomes a doctor and he ends up uh you know helping out and like well first asking patch for help when patch is like you know after he's patch is depressed about corinne and then but he asked for help with the little old lady that plays the little old lady in the wedding scene. yeah yeah, yeah. oh can we <laughs> yes can we talk about that uh and then we'll get back to psh of course uh so her, this little old lady, again, little old lady from Wedding Singer, her thing in this is that she always, you know, and, and Robin Williams kind of like laughs it off in the beginning or whatever, and I forget if his charming line is back to her, but he, she wants to be in a pool full of spaghetti. Is, <laughs> is it, is it, so that's weird in its own right, but isn't it, is it, does this woman have a fetish with like Italian food? Because then in The Wedding Singer. I was thinking the same thing. In The Wedding Singer, she has that whole weird thing of the meatballs and then like puts the meatballs in his hands. And oh, she's yeah. like, I love, I love, I love watching you eat. That's my favorite part, you know. Probably on her resume or something, deals well with pasta. Yeah, deals well with, yeah. <laughs> I didn't, Italian I didn't treats. That. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think I ever would have like thought 
on my own to want to swim in a pool of noodles but like it's... after seeing that scene where they actually make it happen I'm like that actually looks really fun I don't know yeah there's there's something charming about I don't know charming is the wrong word uh, <laughs> no I know what you mean like I, that would be fun yeah exactly it's just like one of those like it, it just brings I mean definitely the whole thing is with Patch is that he wants to bring laughter out of people and and I mean, it just brings you back to it. I mean, he deals with children, but even the way he deals with the adults um, is just in a very childish manner. And that's just very, you know, I mean, this old, you know, I mean, just from the balloon safari. And I guess the most adult thing is the way he talks with Peter Coyote and their uh, different ways of talking about, you know, you know, fra- phrasings of dying, kick the bucket and all. But, Which is, I think, my favorite scene in the movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Again, yeah, I love sure. Peter Coyote. I mean, it's a very, you know, simple, short role in that movie, but he, he's great. Something I wanted to touch on when he, Patch Adams finds his iconic clown nose thing, how it's an enema bulb. Yeah. I like that. I don't know why. <laughs> is that, that's what that is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I wasn't, no, because isn't that also, they, there's like something that's very similar to that. That you also like use in like the ear to wash out the ear, right? So I wasn't yeah, or to like drain sinuses or flush yeah. your sinuses. Either way, you're sticking it inside of any variety of orifices. <laughs> yeah, dealing with any variety of disgusting bodily fluids. So not something that you would generally want to put on your face. Yeah, it's and then, I mean, yeah, he it's puts... not like he gets a sterile one. He just like grabs it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it looks pretty clean, but who knows? But then he, I mean, come on. Then the man puts bedpans on his hat, uh, his head, and his feet. So for the children, that's for the children. He's being a nice. Yeah, guy. exactly. No, and that's that's the whole thing. You just you're watching that sequence, and you just go, oh yeah, Robin Williams. Like I get. Not that people like forget about him or whatever but you're just like yeah there's the charm there's the he was just a magical person yeah. i mean that that scene where he is like performing for the children like was actually making me laugh out loud oh yeah yeah i was like weeping and laughing at the same time which surprisingly was the only time that i cried throughout the whole movie like as soon as i turned it on i was like oh no this is gonna be emotional yeah but i it didn't wind up actually eliciting many emotions from me except for in that scene. No, it just makes me go like I mean again, I mean Robin Williams was a big part of our youth of you know kids mm-hmm. of like the 90s and just had so many films from his animated voices to you know Hook and Mrs. Doubtfire. I always I have such a such a huge soft spot for Hook. Um but I mean he just goes through what he does the clown nose and then he does the bee then the rooster then he's oh, the bee dancing so around yeah, yeah the bee yeah he just always <laughs> a bee a bee was a big character of his but yeah just going around and giving the bee kisses but this is where you can channel the robin williams and like it comes out and it's awesome and it feels so like human for lack of a better word like it just mm-hmm. maybe well, it's the kids maybe the kids I, that's what i was just gonna say is it more acceptable in the presence of kids you know, maybe, that's maybe the, I don't know. Like, is that? Well, yeah, I mean, I I feel like in everyday life, if somebody was like being that big and like performative, you know, it's obnoxious, generally speaking. Oh, sure. But if yeah. you're if you're able to like view it through the eyes of a child, it makes it way more okay and actually like enjoyable. Definitely. Yeah. Um. And then he's like, just I mean, that that's. The warm part of this movie is just him making everyone's dream come tr- come true, essentially. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just his. I mean, it is it is a pretty good romance between him and Corinne. Like it gets, you know, there's some cheesy parts, but I mean that. I mean, it's definitely. Uh, I always. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. Sometimes, he, like at the beginning, he was coming off a little bit like he was coming on very strong. Yes. That was making me like kind yes, of uncomfortable. He was. <laughs> he was coming on very strong. Does it? But is it also uncomfortable because again, like you can clearly see like the age difference. Did that play a part for you? I know it did for me. So I'm not. Uh, trying to put, I'm not. Not for me. It wasn't that. It was that like she, she made it very clear that she was not there to make friends. Sure. You sure, know, and not yeah. in like a reality show kind of way. She was just like, no, I'm here to study. Yeah. Like, I have no interest in dating right now. Like, I am one. I am one of eight women in a class of however many it was, Mm -hmm. you know, at a time where it's still really difficult for women in medicine. And back then, like, oh my God, I can't, I can't even fathom it. So she was just like, stop fucking around. (laughs) You know, like this is not, I'm not trying to, you know, do anything, but just get through medical school and become a doctor because it's literally all I've ever wanted. Um, and then so she doesn't his, even get to do that. He gets her killed. gets murdered instead, which is upsetting. But, um, yeah, no, I, it just, that to me was bothersome that like, he can't take a hint. Well, I don't and just yeah. like leave her alone. I don't like how it's kind of portrayed. It's almost like, like for our eyes, we're almost supposed to feel like, Oh, come on, Corinne, lighten up. Right. You know, like whatever. You're, you're... Yeah, he, call, he he says like, oh, even like he, he even said he says at some point like, oh, might I even say bitchy of you? You know, like it's mm-hmm. like really like that. You know, there's definitely there's like, some points... her problem, right? Like it's just this... <laughs> like um, yeah, no, there's some points that like I went like, oh, Patch Adams is because just even that whole thing, you know, like they accuse him and like so is he supposed to be like even like a savant in a way that he's just that good that, I mean, you know, they make it a point that. We don't, they don't see him, they bring it up, you know, Mitch brought it up to the dean and everything like that, that, like, they don't see him studying, but we don't even see him studying. So just as far Mm -hmm. as, like, moments where you might be, like, sympathetic towards him in these pursuits, or just, like, in his studies and going in and breaking into the hospital, or not breaking in, but just, you know, going there when he's not allowed to, you know, have interactions with the patients before his third year. It just has plenty of moments where they just don't paint the best picture of him or yeah i mean he seems like kind of a dick even in real life um (laughs) he doesn't give many interviews but i did manage to find one where he was on a podcast with this weird british woman who was interviewing him about being a maverick and he kept saying like i don't like that word like that is not what i would use to describe myself and she just was like using it constantly um but he seemed like like the a kind of nightmare scenario for anyone who's trying to conduct an interview uh, um okay. and just like I, I something tells me that like in real life he's not the easiest person to like be around like he might be an amazing doctor which is true of a lot of doctors he might be an amazing doctor but a total asshole like so maybe he became speaking. what he was trying not to be or something like that <laughs> yeah i mean i think he not necessarily not not um, a nightmare to be around in the way that like a lot of doctors are a nightmare to be around, kind of like in a very different direction that's equally as annoying. Can, can we <laughs> well, quick talk about... Kind of like, oh, I don't know, I might be speaking out of turn about this because I didn't hear that interview, but like from everything I read about him, he seems kind of um, 
a little bit of a self-promoter, and I guess he's doing it to get money for his hospital, so it's not, mm-hmm. like, necessarily bad. But I think that could turn some people off, too. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Um, yeah, Kyle, though, you mentioned before mm-hmm. that scene where Philip Seymour Hoffman is, like, questioning his study habits. I think we should play that clip, because I do like his quotes there. Sure. You told Walcott I cheated. I know you did it. Just tell me why. Look, cut the crap, Hunter. I live with you. I know how much you study, or I should say don't study. And you do better than me. <laughs> Give me a break. You arrogant, pompous prick. Who appointed you custodian of the medical profession? Is it because your father was a doctor and his father was a doctor? Some sort of genetic thing? You're damn right. Really? You know, I grew up with it. I know what it takes to look in the eyes of dying people day after day after day and to come home for dinner at night. I know what it takes. You don't have it. Oh, really? And you do? If you don't like me, just say it. I don't like you! Why don't you like me? You're a prick and I like you. Because you make my effort a joke. I want to be a doctor. This isn't a game to me. This isn't playtime. This is serious business. I have it in me to be a great doctor. But in order to do that, I have to sacrifice if I want to be better. Better. Better than me, hmm? I will save lives that could have otherwise not been saved. Now, I could be like you and go around laughing and have a good time, haha. but I prefer to learn because the more I learn, the more likely I'll have the right answer at the crucial moment and save a life. You say I'm a prick? You say I'm a prick? You know, maybe I am, but you ask the average person when death comes knocking at their door whether they want a prick on their side or some kindergarten teacher who's going to kiss their ass. Because when that day comes, I want the prick. And so will you. You know, I forget how young you are, Mitch. That you think that you have to be a prick to get things done. And that you actually think that that's a new idea. Yeah, so, right, like, I don't like you. Like, you make an effort, and, and he, like, he he doesn't like Philip Hoffman here, or what's his character's name again? Mitch? Which is Mitch, yeah. <laughs> Which is a real asshole. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch, Mitch, Mitch and Patch. He's, you know, he's under a lot of pressure, he says, and it's just like, he just doesn't like that Patch doesn't have to try as hard as him. But but th- I thought this was like a weird angle, and you were kind of alluding to this, Kyle. Like, we're supposed to be like, oh, Patch Adams is great. He doesn't work hard like Corinne or Mitch, but he still gets the job done. And yeah, but he's still like in the, you know, scoring in like the high 90s when Corinne gets like a 78 or something like that, which is, you know, good enough, but not as good as Patch, you know. I don't know what it's trying to say. I, I get, like, you know, of course, I, and I'm all, like, I definitely see that doctors can be, like, really stuffy like that, too. But it's not, like, saying they should stop working hard. Because it's like, is are they saying, like, like you said, Kyle, is he an idiot savant? Well, not an idiot. Is he a savant? Or is he, or are we saying that, like, you need to lighten up to get better test scores? Yeah, I mean, hey, like, I mean, Mitch... You know, Philip Schumer Hoffman, he gives a great, I mean, just the whole thing of when you're in the bed, like, do you, like, that he would want the prick, you know, to be the one, like, on his side, his doctor. And I definitely, like, you know, there's some points that's like, I agree, and I get that. And I think the big thing that, 
it almost seems like just even from the dean in his first, you know, like when we first see him and hear him and the whole like, you know, very like patent speech and he's just talking about being there and at that critical moment of saving a life. I mean, there's just a big difference between even that practicing of like medicine, like, you know, in a, you know, it's it's surgical versus, you know, it's even like doctors in a hospital and just even a private practice where you go and you get a, an, a checkup, you know, it's hospital versus just the doctor's office, which clearly even then you have patch trying to do something different from that so so you wanted a distinction i'm not i guess i'm not following so much yeah i mean just i mean again it's just like it's a great speech for the the purpose of the story yeah for the purpose of the story and understanding the characters like i felt like they just weren't as in the story communicating like that well with one another like i think i mean everyone clearly wants to help the patients and it just seems like patch is much more on the again like private practice like come to the doctor's office for like a checkup kind of thing versus like you know emergency care and surgical care i think i'm on a little bit of the opposite side of you there kyle i okay i think i would have liked to see more balance like it, again, let's say this is not a true story because I don't really know what happened, but like Patch kind of learns a little from Philip Seymour Hoffman. It seems like Philip Seymour Hoffman learns from the Robin Williams character, Patch Adams. You know, Phil- yeah, he learns like, a little bit more like empathy and stuff like that. Is that? But the lesson that like Robin Williams ends up, I guess, learning is what is it like? It's after Corinne dies, right? And he's just like he doesn't want to do it anymore, and then he just ends up. I don't know. He doesn't really learn much of a lesson, does he? Kara, what do you think? <laughs> No, I think you're right. He doesn't learn much of a lesson. The lesson of Corinne's death, I think, is that, like, you know, sunshine and smiles and butterflies, like, are not enough. You know what I mean? Like, like, yeah, you can have the best communication skills in the world, and it's still not going to be enough to save people. Yeah, sunshine, Um, smiles, and butterflies are enough, but pasta pools are. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that that is that is the takeaway from this um i think you know and it, it like based on what i read about the real pouch adams and and listening to him speak i don't think that he's learned this lesson either necessarily or maybe he has i don't know but that like you know it's everything is just way more complicated than yeah you know well, that's definitely well, yeah, also I mean, something that they don't dive into well that it's a i mean it's not you know black and white in the field of I mean many things but medicine too you know it's not right right and and that's something that medicine still struggles with very much that you know it's the answer there isn't always an answer and there isn't always a right answer and sometimes sure you might cure somebody of one thing and then they develop a whole bunch of problems because of the treatment or yeah. whatever um and and you know if this is all about mindset not paying closer attention to a patient who is very clearly dealing with mental illness, you know, like, I, I, I don't know. Again, it just like totally, for me, kind of missed a lot of possible opportunities to explore certain themes. Yeah, I guess the because best... Because it was just trying to do too much. I guess the best message this movie has, and it's something that Patch brings up a lot, is like, we can't be, like afraid of death death is you know and that's again the great scene with like peter Peter coyote like that we're in we're surrounding if you're getting into medicine like you you know i mean or in the end from day one we're all dying we you know we're born and Mm -hmm. we're we're on the you know 
it's it's not that's not and that's not meant to be dark by saying that and that's what he's trying to no, say. No, it's is, the craziest thing in the world to me that like we are literally every single one of us is going to die someday and yeah. we all wander around pretending it's not going to happen. Yeah, we're just no all in these decaying meat suits. <laughs> yeah, no one acknowledges it and that that character, that Peter Coyote character is just a total asshole to everyone. All of the nurses, all of the doctors, people wind up like running out of his room with yeah. him like throwing stuff at at them cuz he's in this terrible pain. He knows he's dying. Um, and no one is acknowledging it to him. So when Robin Williams shows up at his bedside dressed like an angel, listing off all of the euphemisms for death and dying, like that's the first time that this character is, has had anyone acknowledge to them that, yes, you are dying. We're, we're all dying. Yeah. Um, and it totally ch- turns him around because for once somebody's actually acknowledging it. And this is at a period of time in medicine where kind of coming off of like peak paternalism, you know, doctors used to not even tell people that they had cancer because they knew that they were going to die soon, especially women. You know, they might, they might tell their husband that their wife is really cancer, but they would hold that information back from the person who was dying because they, they thought that um, it was too much that, you know, and a lot of doctors are still very uncomfortable with death and dying. And it's not something that they're trained very well on. And yeah. it's a very specific type of person that gravitates to something like hospice and palliative care medicine because they feel like I do that, like, wait, <laughs> what is going on? We're all going to die. We're all dying. And no one's talking about this. And so certain personalities kind of gravitate towards that. But to this very day it's very rare for doctors to actually acknowledge that a patient is is dying because hmm. our medical system is, is is so focused on prolonging life do, it's just all prolonging about, yeah. life doing everything that we possibly can which isn't necessarily always the best option for the patient and i think actually i wrote it down um Robin Williams at some point says, we're all dying. Our our job, meaning like as doctors, is to increase health. That means quality of life, yeah, not qu- just delaying thank you. death. That's a big part. Like that is quality of life. And that's like mm-hmm. his, you know, and quality of life to him is just trying to make like a, a nice last, you know, for these terminal patients, a, a nice mm-hmm. last, you know, visual or feeling or you know whatever that is but again it's not like a black and white like that's all let's recognize death but then at the same time i agree with you know the older doctors in this film that should they be saying you know referring to the patient not by their disease but like say their name but at the same time yeah you don't want to bond with these people because then just as humans you'll get so depressed bonding with these people and then they that they die mean but that's how doctors are trained. They are trained to be quote unquote objective. Um, I was, I did this um, uh, kind of intensive workshop at Columbia Medical School a few years ago in a field called narrative medicine, which is kind of about bringing more of the arts and humanities into medicine and medical practice. And, mm-hmm. and the workshop was specifically geared towards students in any medical related field. So I was mostly with medical students or pre-med students. Okay. And all week people were talking about to objectively know something and be able to objectively, you know, diagnose someone and, and, and that sort of thing. And I, as somebody who 
comes from like an art school background. I at the end of the week, I was like, this it's hilarious to me. <laughs> you guys think that you can be objective because you come, you know, you are taught that objectivity is what is the most important thing and you know to keep some sort of emotional distance from your patients and whatever and like i come from this background where we're taught that you ca you cannot be objective it's impossible you know so i think that the truth is somewhere closer to the middle of those two things yeah. but it was just such a, a startling contrast to me just how fixated on objectivity and emotional distance that these students were because that is all that they're taught and it like kind of blew their mind when I brought up the concept of like not being able to have objectivity as a human That's crazy. who lives in the world and has emotions yeah I mean isn't that in the end of the day and like I mean in every field and every topic mm -hmm. there's just there's the extremes of both sides and it tends to be the middle that's better but like but if you just say like oh something in the middle it's just like all right well give me an example what is the best and then you just can't <laughs> right. and you can't give a clear-cut answer and that's what again like the 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 doctor that uh you know mr ducksworth plays like says to him oh patch like you remind me of when i was younger and that's the whole thing you have these doctors that these older doctors that are teaching these you know younger people that want to become doctors but at this point they've you know they've seen some shit and it's and and they've seen right. they and they see how shit. cruel life is and they've become jaded mm -hmm. but they still want to help so how do you how do you inspire people by saying like okay help but you know yeah you're going to you know you're going to lose people and you and you can't get close cuz it'll take its toll but at the same time you, you should say hi you know mrs smith how's you know like or even just acknowledge them cuz when the medical students are doing rounds like yeah, they're not even looking at scene. her yeah yeah, in the, the corridor, she's like laying on a gurney and the medical students and the attending physician are doing the like, you know, diagnosis and what's the treatment, and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And no one looks at her. No one says the patient's name. No one acknowledges that she's even present in the room with them, except for Patch, mm -hmm. after everyone else has kind of drifted away. And again painting with some broad strokes like the way that that woman is acting like her face is like oh, no one's paying attention to me and then she kind of like softens when patch starts talking to her um, but yeah i mean you know. yeah exactly just through the acting or whatever or the way they choose to show it at that moment because what she has diabetes and she might have to get her toe or foot amputated and it almost seems mm -hmm. like that's where she's learning it at that time like I just I wasn't sure right. if she's learning it at that time or she's just more surprised at, again how like clear cut and no one's like paying attention to her it just doesn't exactly paint the like the you know clearest picture of what's going on mm -hmm. in that scene besides this is Patch and this is Patch's point of view Patch wants to do this and Patch wants to do that but well I think I think this is back to like where this movie kind of misses is that it doesn't feel again like Patch like learns anything. I think he's supposed to learn from Corinne's death, as stupid as that is, you know. I think he's supposed to be brought back to reality, so to speak. But he doesn't really mesh those two like I guess one should. He just goes back to being silly old Patch Adams. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then he becomes a sex offender at the end by being naked in front of plenty <laughs> of people in public. At a school, so. goddammit. <laughs> like that's just you know it's just like that really happened yeah it's, well this is one of those things that it should have been at the end 
I don't know, it would have been better if he turned around and he just, again, put the red nose on, and then everyone, he looks at the crowd and everyone's wearing the red nose. I don't know. It just, it just... <laughs> I don't know. We'll rewrite Patch Adams. Yeah. That's... Well, one thing that I am very disappointed didn't happen in real life is the giant uh, paper mache legs and stirrups oh, that well, that, yeah, he that's kinda... uh, erects on the outside of the building and the, the banner that says, oh, yeah. at your cervix. <laughs> great wordplay. Great wordplay. Um, oh, such great wordplay. And I love when he's American College it. of Gynecology is visiting. He's yeah. been tasked with being the welcome committee. That <sighs> is fantastic. I love when he walks in the door. Did not really happen. I love when he walks in the door and he goes, come in, come in, come in. This is like, you know, does the echo. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a really funny scene. And then just, again, I don't know how, if it's, if it happened in real life and then just like jumping to a pure funny, but it makes me laugh out loud. Like the whole scene of him schmoozing with like the meet people and his whole speech and everything. Oh it's my just, God. Oh yeah. It's yeah, just, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like that that's, is a that's, huge, that's just purely great. comedic oh, well, scene for like, that's not necessary. Like the only reason that scene exists is for him to realize, like, oh, you know, then he says, like, what's the difference between a first year and a third year, you know, and him, him the white coat. And, like, to, yeah, just... and to get a lab coat. Like... <laughs> yeah. There's a really great banner in that scene, too. Shanks for the memories. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of, yeah, pun, plenty of puns. Plenty but... of puns in this film. Um, do we know if that, uh, like, cabin clinic thing happened in real life? Yeah, that did. That's interesting. Which, like, how on earth as medical students did they have time to, re- <laughs> like, refurbish that cabin and then run a free clinic yeah. that's taking overflow from, like, all of the other free clinics? They're in, <laughs> are they in, they're in North Carolina, is that right? Or something along yeah. those lines? Like, it just, it just seems, Virginia. I don't know exactly what, what university that's supposed to be. Um, I thought it was Virginia, or I don't know. It yeah, Virginia. it's like Virginia Medical School or something. But <laughs> okay. it was shot mostly in North Carolina. Oh, uh, okay, that's where I know. I thought I saw North Carolina somewhere. But point being, it just yeah, it just seems like that's a very like, you know, um, very much like removed from society kind of location. And it just yeah, it just mm-hmm. it raised more certain things than like you know certain questions and others of practicality as far as you know just as far as the story goes. But. So did the real Patch Adams though operate that clinic without a license and then almost get kicked out of school? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> he also has never had malpractice insurance, which they brush on briefly in the in the movie, because um, he believes that it uh, creates an antagonistic relationship with the patient and that you don't trust your patients not to sue you. Yeah, he has that one uh, line about lawyers and mm, money going yeah. towards that versus the right people in the right place or something like that, right? I think. Right. Yeah. yeah, that like all of this money is going and you know, to to a certain extent this is one of the contributing factors to the rising costs of healthcare in this country is the cost of malpractice insurance. Sure. But, um uh, you know, it's it's again way more complicated. Than <laughs> you know, like sure, I would love for all of that money to actually go toward treating patients and whatever, but uh, malpractice insurance is important. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would think so. It is he. I know I'm asking a lot of like real life Patch Adams questions, but do do we know if he's like like 
what where does he practice or does he oh does he just like travel so he actually yeah he spends most of his time i think he said like upwards of 300 days a year on the road traveling oh uh, okay giving medical care to people hmm. that's cool which is interesting i like i he seems to lack focus <laughs> because like this film like if you I, I don't know if you really wanted to help people setting up shop in some rural area in West Virginia where the real Gesundheit Institute is, I think would be really helpful because rural medicine is um, an area in this country that is hugely lacking in practitioners. Sure. You know, so traveling all over the world is, you know, important, I guess, but like you could also just stay in one spot. And, yeah. If you, and, if you, and, yeah. you know, devote your energy into really making this place happen instead of you know 20 years later the place still isn't built yeah if you really want to like shake the system as he's trying to do it's better to like you know d you know plant some you know get some roots going and you know really set up shop right. and but this is i mean you guys hit on some good points because this is what i kind of don't understand about why he doesn't like how he could not have the money now even if robin williams didn't give him a dime or people you know the movie didn't donate to it we're talking about patch adams the real guy on you know tonight can't he like go on a speaking tour and just make money i know that's like not helping the patients in the short run but in the long yeah. run i think he'd be able to probably fundraise to some level so yeah so interesting point about the real patch adams is that he is vehemently anti-capitalist like that's part of the reason why he was so upset with the way that this movie portrayed him is that it just portrayed him as this funny clown doctor <laughs> when like in real life he is a very serious political activist who is anti-capitalist he, he actually said in that interview that i listened to that he thinks that women should uh run everything because 95 percent of the world's problems are caused by men <laughs> <laughs> which I found hilarious. Um, and that he thinks that for the next thousand years, women should be in charge of everything. Um, so he's like, he has some pretty radical ideas. Yeah, well, they definitely like, betray him not... as like a radical socially in this film. Right. Yeah. yeah. So um, I, I have a feeling that like, you know, doing some sort of speaking tour where he's garnering hundreds of thousands of dollars per... I guess that makes sense. Per... Yeah. Yeah. But if he really wanted to make this place happen, he could do it. Fight you know, I, I feel like this movie probably created a lot of goodwill towards him. And, you know, it sounds to me like he might have squandered that, but <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, whatever. That's definitely fair. I definitely want to get our uh, main man back in here for, you know, he is, unfortunately, he's not in this movie a lot. Um, when he is, it's like some, you know, some good moments. Step backwards but... for us lately, because we're finally seeing him in like starring roles. Yeah, I mean, before this, we had some big parts in Happiness. I, I just forgot. Oh, Happiness. happiness. <laughs> <laughs> when you guys asked me to do that, I think the first thing that I said was like, uh, yes, just as long as yeah. you don't make me watch yeah, Happiness is it again. not Happiness again. This, that's a completely different <laughs> I actually gave the DVD, because I got the DVD as, as part of like the Tower Records going out of business sale. <laughs> mm -hmm. And... Um, and I hadn't seen it, and I think I bought it because Philip Seymour Hoffman was in it. And was it the cartoonish cover art? Because that's kind of... that also did not help. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> oh, this looks fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I wound up like giving the DVD away to somebody because I was like, <laughs> you can 
and they asked to borrow it, and I was like, you know what? Keep it. I don't ever need to see that again. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but, yes. but, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of, this reminds me of his earlier roles. Like, I think you mentioned that earlier, Kyle. He's, he, yeah, he's playing, you know, the 180 student version of Patch. But then he, he, he more has a character arc than Patch, really, <laughs> which is cool. Which is fine, you know. He gains more empathy and has his little PSH uh, chuckle when he's putting like Mrs. Kennedy or something like that, whatever her name is, you know, the wedding singer grandma, and yeah. into the spaghetti. But um, yeah, let's you know, let's play because he he he's a big part. He inspires Patch when Patch is uh, depressed after uh, Corinne. So. Let's uh, you know he has that, and then he has the then Patch has the whole butterfly on the cliff scene. But let's 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 play this clip right now. You can't leave. What you say is true. It's like I'm defying the laws of possibility. What are you doing? Oh, I can't leave until you beat me. Is that it? Okay, I surrender. You're number one. You're the top student in the class. You're smarter than me. Is that what you want to hear? Now can I leave? You know, Mrs. Kennedy in 212. She doesn't eat. I visited her room every day for the last three weeks. I can't get her to eat. I know everything there is to know about medicine I've studied relentlessly. I guarantee you I cannot do, not diagnose any attending and surgeon in this hospital. But I can't make her eat. You have a gift. You have a way with people. You know, they like you. And if you leave, I can't in this way. You know, I mean, there's there's something to be said about him, that character, coming up and seeing how sad Patch is, and just saying to him, "You can't leave." Which you know, I just and and I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman sells it for me there. I, as small as his role is in this movie, I enjoy it. I like what he's bringing. It's just we've been watching all these movies, and it's something we have seen before. Not his fault, but again, coming off of happiness. Where, where it's so much more visceral, you know, like his performance mm. there, and then I'm not saying. Oh God, that. yeah. <laughs> I guess that's, that's a bad word, but yeah. and this this is such like a he's playing and again not his fault, but he's playing such a stock character in Patch Adams. Yeah, definitely. Again, it's one of those roles that is someone else could have played it, but he just he brings a little something extra, a little you know, gravitas to the character, and just his line delivery and just uh, I guess it's helpful that this character does have like a little bit of a uh, character arc to him but yeah, he, he, do, he, he gets the job done in this movie yeah and, and like you said the movie ends with the patch that he gets to graduate and he becomes a real doctor and we're led movie wise we're led to believe that he goes on to find found the Gazuntai Institute and that it's everything's going to be up and running and happily ever after. Of course, we well, learned guess, it didn't happen, but 
Yeah, but actually, well, at the same time, like, it is, like, it's a happy note at the end, but then if you think about it, they're even saying, like, so this movie came out in 98, and this movie, you know, ends in, what, 71, 72, or something like that? Um, so you're just like, oh, wait, so even 20, like, five years... Oh, yeah, this, I didn't process that. <laughs> this, You know? <laughs> and then cut to, now we're even almost 20, this movie is almost 20 years old, and... It just, uh, I guess it really, it portrays the system accurately in that, in, mm. in, in that realm. Yeah, nothing changes. <laughs> that is true. Anything else you want to add for uh, Patch Adams? I mean... Um, this is actually, I didn't get a chance to, like, go through Robin Williams' um, filmography, but this is the, at least three movies that he's been in that deal with the topic of suicide yeah um, yeah because there's this too. there is what dreams may come oh, yeah. and yeah. the world's greatest dad and and those were just like the ones that i thought of off the top of my head and i feel like possibly even more of his films have, have dealt with the topic hmm. so it's interesting yeah, yeah definitely yeah that's a that's a good point and that's like when i saw this film just rewatching it for the podcast that, that did strike me but I didn't realize yeah I forgot about what dreams may come that is true that's so sad I mean I guess he gravitated to roles like that mm-hmm. unfortunately we lost him and that definitely sucks but it is an interesting note yeah. it's it's so much more eerie when that happens right like when you're watching it and you're seeing that you're like oh it's like when we see Philip Seymour Hoffman in like the drug roles that we've seen him in. I mean, just one so far, but it's almost like. Yeah, I mean, it's just very. I mean, it it, it hits home, and it just it's just sad to see someone that was on a slippery slope, or then or was you know, collected themselves, and I mean, just even today, you know, I was like looking through just pictures of him on, like on Google and stuff like that, and you just see this guy towards the end and. Uh, you know, like I mean, it just it it seemed like everything was was great, and then I mean something like that, you know, tragic happened. And again, I mean, if you're gonna take anything away from this movie, is that you know you have to accept death, and it happens, you know, to good people, bad people, and you know, however it takes you is gonna take you. But I don't know. I'm just rambling now because it's just a sad topic. <laughs> no, but, I mean, it, but. It's nice to, I guess, celebrate both these guys in the same podcast. Both guys, we, we lost too soon, and yeah. and just like really appreciate their work as much as like we're kind of shitting on a lot of aspects of this movie. <laughs> it's it's, I still like again that scene of him with the kids. Just that's the perfect Robin Williams for me. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's the that's that's the good stuff right there. That's the stuff. That's the magic. Yeah, and I think there's probably also something cliche to be said about um, the biggest clowns hiding like the biggest pain, you know? Oh yeah, um, which is like another missed opportunity. With the, I feel like it tried to do that in this movie. That like, here's this person who has been suicidal at points throughout his life and has dealt with serious depression. But look how funny he is, you know? Yeah. Um, and I don't quite stick the landing on that juxtaposition yeah because it does the movie does start out pretty like somber and he's got this inner monologue while he's on the bus ride to the psychiatric hospital and then the next like i guess then the next like lowest moment is when he's like talking or next biggest low low moment is when he's talking on the cliff but then you have the 
crappiness of the butterfly getting involved in that. But, uh, you know, I mean, I totally agree with you. In the, in the end, it's just like there was something much more they could have done here as far as his... You know, uh, bringing awareness. You know, there's some great movies out there that bring, like, awareness to certain, you know, whether it's mental illness or wh- whatever. Uh, but this film didn't really necessarily land that. Just make it feel real. Yeah, this one know? really screwed the pooch on yeah, the just, mental illness. It's, it's, it's... <laughs> Regardless. Missed opportunity. Yes, that's the best way to put it. Missed opportunity. And missed opportunity for us here at... Um, you know, P.S. I love Hoffman because I wish they were in a better film together. Yeah, I wish yeah. they were in a better film together, and then just as always, wish we had more that we could talk about Philip Seymour Hoffman. But we still got to talk about him nonetheless and remember him. Well, I did look at his list on IMDb. You asked me at the beginning of the podcast if Almost Famous was my favorite movie that he's been in, and uh, yes, it is. Okay. So there we there we have it. And not a Off bad fans. choice at all. Yeah. No, it's an yeah. excellent. That's an excellent choice. It's definitely a, a fan favorite, and I mean, just a one of the, you know one of those classic movies that I feel like everyone. That's like a must see for pretty much anybody. I feel like it mm-hmm. can. I feel like every. That's a movie that everyone can relate to or just enjoy, in one realm or another. It feels like maybe it's just for our generation, but it just feels like part of growing up. That film. Yeah, definitely. Like, there's certain movies. Well, it is a classic coming of age story. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, so thanks so much for coming on, Kara. Yes, thank yeah, you thanks very for having much. Me. This was fun. Yeah. Um, so, why don't you remind our audience where they could find all your great stuff on the web? Yeah, uh, the easiest place would be at bimps.com. That's B-I-M-P-S-E. Uh, from there, you can find my podcasts, uh, my artwork. Um, you can find me on Twitter at BIMPS and also at InSicknessPod and also at WistfulPod. Uh, same thing with Instagram. I'm all three places. And uh, you can find Wistful Thinking and In Sickness and In Health on Apple Podcasts and probably wherever you're listening to this episode. And you said uh, In Sickness and In Health is in current hiatus, correct? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I it's it happens whenever it happens, and it doesn't happen whenever it doesn't. So, Do you need <laughs> your Philip Seymour Hoffman, do you need your Mitch to come to you and ask for your help with the spaghetti pool? Yeah, I, need, I think I need the spaghetti pool. You need the spaghetti I need pool. whatever okay. the emotional equivalent of a spaghetti pool is before I can start podcasting about healthcare in the United fair. States again. And, and Wistful Thinking comes out every... It's bi-weekly, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's the 8th and the 21st or 22nd of every month. Okay, cool. So it's not a specific day of the week. It's the... Oh, um, Okay. Actual I'm a subscriber. It just pops my phone, so I just then gotcha. I listen then. So, <laughs> so thanks so much for listening, guys. Check out Patch Adams if you haven't seen it. You probably have, but regardless, we'd love to hear your feedback. We want to hear your thoughts. Comment as always. We're really liking the comments. Like, subscribe, share. Listen to all the other great podcasts on Cage Club. Listen to Kara's podcasts. And Kara, if you can sign us off. Stay uncool. Boom.
sexual thing, sexual thing, you. I believe in miracles. 